Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for, I think, the third episode of Horror Express. And tonight we're doing Dracula, or as most people in America probably know it, Horror of Dracula, the 1958 Hammer Studios film. Um, I don't know if Joel had seen these or not before. I grew up on Hammer movies, and it's been a little while since I've seen this one, probably about 10 years, so it was kind of like revisiting it. And I, I, I really kind of now want to go and, and redo all of the, all of the Hammer movies if, if we can find time and an excuse for it, because they're really so great. But, uh, but Joel, before, well, I guess why don't I give a little synopsis of the movie because it, it probably requires it. So this is this is Dracula, but it's a very streamlined version of the story where one of the big twists is, and I'm just assuming people know Dracula, so I'm not going to bother to to tell it you know, to give you the overview of the plot. But one of the big twists is when Jonathan Harker goes to Dracula, he's going as his librarian rather than a solicitor. And he's actually on a secret mission to kill Dracula, which you learn, uh, you know, just after he meets the count and he goes to, he's about to go to bed and he's writing in his journal. And he, he ends up uh, killing uh, Dracula's uh, like female uh, vampire that he has. And, and then gets killed himself. And then Van Helsing steps into the picture who bring, you know, number one, lays John Harker to rest, but then brings news of John Harker's death to, um, uh, to Arthur Holmwood. And I guess she's Mina Holmwood in this one, right? She's not Mina mm -hmm. Harker. They mix up some of the characters, which we'll get into. Um, and, and they, they re, they reconfigure some of the relationships. And, and from there, we kind of start to get the more standard, version of dracula but again it is a very streamlined version and this one brings in a lot more sexuality and a bit more blood and things like that than prior versions had had so you know that's the broad overview again assuming that you already know the basic story of dracula um so joel what, what did you think of this movie what was your reaction to it and have you seen this film before have you seen many hammer movies before this is not only the first time I've viewed the horror of Dracula, a.k.a. Dracula, uh, the Hammer movie. It's the first time I've ever seen a Hammer movie. This is my oh, very wow. first one. This, okay. this burst my cherry, man. Um, and uh, you you compare them to, like, the Shaw Brothers, and that is a very apt comparison. Uh, yeah. This is an efficiently made movie that loses none of its impact. It is extremely entertaining, and it's got really good cuts, and it uses the entirety of its runtime it just crams in a whole lot of really good movie. It's mostly driven by performances with a couple of fun gimmicks. It's got a lot. It's got a lot in common with Shaw Brothers in that regard, and I was thoroughly delighted with it. That that connection is pretty clear, especially when in 1974 Shaw Brothers and Hammer Studios made The Legend of the Seven Gold, uh, Golden Vampires, which is part of like the Dracula type series so it's a uh, um, which maybe we'll get to that i don't know hopefully i mean there's a long way to go before you get to legend of the seven golden vampires but that might be a nice nice goal uh for the horror express at some point um but yeah i think this is a, a number so i say at the outset i really more i mean i like the dracula movies but i'm a little bit more of a fan of the frankenstein movies which uh fe feature peter cushing as frankenstein in, in the bulk of them um but i i i think that uh uh, this is a, I don't know, I, I, I love how well-structured this version of Dracula is. It's a, um, again, they, they retool things, but all of the retooling is very much in service of abiding by the runtime and giving you a lot of the 
key experiences that you need from Dracula. So a lot of the key things are still in there. They just arise in different ways. And again, a lot of the relationships are restructured, but I think they make a lot of sense. Like the whole pairing of Arthur Holmwood with Mina and kind of getting John Harker out of the picture and getting John and getting uh, Dr. Seward out of the picture. And, and obviously Quincy Morris doesn't make an appearance in this oh, one either. Or Quincy. Uh, you know, it's probably for the best in my opinion, but like the, uh, uh, I thought it worked. I thought that it, because can you imagine having to focus on, on what it becomes really is kind of like a buddy movie with with uh, mm. Arthur Holmwood and Von Helsing, right? Like they're the two. I mean, and obviously Mina's there, but she's not really part of the the team to take on Dracula, right? So it's more it's almost more of a buddy movie, and I feel like that works much better than if they had had all those other characters in the mix, trying to trying to you know do that in the heart of a movie that's only got like an hour and 20 minute runtime. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, as you recall, the, uh, uh, the Francis Ford Coppola version of Dracula in the nineties did do that, uh, with somewhat mixed results. It does feel a little unfocused. Characters feel like they don't really get enough time to breathe. A lot of them are like Quincy again is introduced as almost a stereotype and he's well in the book. He's a in the book. He's a stereotype too. He's a stereotype of an American, but he's, he's Uh, a very fun stereotype of an American and he's, there's a lot of nobility to him and there's a lot more richness of character in the books. It just, it's huge. The yeah. book of Dracula is very, very big. Yeah. The, um, the book, by the way, if, I mean, obviously where some people know the basic story, but if you haven't read the book, it's worth reading. Um, what is it like 400 and something pages, I think, or 500 pages, maybe it it's, is a surprisingly quick read though. Yeah. yeah well, cause uh, it's say that about it. Well, it's usually a, when I've had it, missive, I think. usually when I get a copy of it, cause I have a lot of copies of it, it's not like one of those books where it's like the whole page is filled with words. There's usually like a lot of white space and it doesn't feel like a struggle to read each page. It's a pretty quick read. And it's also done as a, like sort of a lost footage type, uh, type book, which a lot of those old horror novels and old horror short stories were like Sandman, for example, was that way, um, where it's all journal entries and phonograph records and all, and, and, and and newspaper articles and thing and 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 they all kind of feel like clippings put into a book really yeah there's I mean? there's a term for it it's like narrative by missive or something like yeah. that frankenstein did that too yeah but um, frankenstein if i remember was one whole thing and i could it was be wrong a selection of letters different authors even. was it different different I, for some reason i remembered it being all in the voice well, okay, of frankenstein it, it's it we, is except for the section the where he's a... where he's quoting the monster giving an account of what happened yeah, to him it's it's a really it's Frank, not to go too far off about it, but I just read Frankenstein recently okay. again, okay. and it's a matro is a matryoshka doll because it's actually it is one text that is being written in the the journal of a sea captain who finds Frankenstein. Okay, and okay. Frankenstein is mostly recounting his life, and we're getting the re- the record of his recounting, and then in the middle of that we get the monster who tells okay. his story of his life. Oh, that's so right. The sea- like, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's no. just layers upon layers in that one. It's fascinating how it's constructed. The, and and Dracula is a bunch of different authorship. Yeah. Uh, there's no And one different technology, book. which is really cool. Like, they're using different yes. technology to tell the story. And you see that in this movie. You see that in most versions mm-hmm. of Dracula. A lot of versions bring in the phonograph because it's cool. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it, you know... Uh, it, you know, and, and you had mentioned the 92 Dracula, and I quite like that one. I think they actually do a good job of bringing all the characters in. But but this one is different. This one, you know, for all the impact it had on the 92 Dracula, it is a much more stripped down, streamlined, no BS approach to the tale. And I think that works. 
Speaking of no BS, uh, I was reading about the director and writer of this movie's, uh, the directors and writers of this movie, uh, specifically took out a lot of the supernatural elements that uh, Dracula had to kind of make yeah. it a little more believable. And I think that works to the movie's advantage. Yeah. They do they do contradict that in later for Dracula's in the series, but I think in this mm -hmm. one it works really well where he's not turning into a bad, he's not turning into a wolf and all that kind of stuff. And that does make him feel like a more solid entity. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you, it, it, it's it's hard to believe that somebody could be undead and drinks blood, but it's harder to believe that th that body they occupy could then transform into a wolf also and into a bat as well. Yeah, or, or mist or all the stuff that yeah. Dracula could do. Um, now, the, I, I like that in the book quite a bit because it feels like it sets up a very like ancient sorcery versus yeah. modern technology thing, which in my estimation... That's why it's important to have a blood transfusion scene. That that critical scenes in this movie too, yeah. Because it's a modern at the time, modern contemporary scientific way of fighting something that's yeah. otherwise unreachable. You, though, know, you can only fight it with superstition. Though obviously they must not have known about blood type when when that no, was no clearly not. <laughs> um, uh, poor uh, poor Lucy gets like four different donors. She would definitely have well. Died. There's a lot, and it's funny. I read I read Dracula about once every ten years. In fact, I'm due because the last time I read it was right after my last <laughs> surgery and like not my last like my third surgery that I had in like 2010. I sat down and I read uh, Dracula and Jekyll and Hyde again and all these things, and that I paid very close attention to that portion of the story because that's obviously become a huge talking point in like analysis of the book because of oh, yeah. you know, the sexual undertones and all that. And so I, I remember I remember trying to like really absorb the details in that one. And it is it is like, you know, like like that there is a lot uh, a lot there in terms of the sex, but I think also in terms of what you're saying, which is modern technology versus this ancient type of sorcery and magic that uh uh you know, which is kind of a cool I don't know, it 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 it, it does it does make the scene important and i think it's one of several key scenes that this story retains you get the um you get the blood transfusion scene you get you get jonathan harker's trip to the castle which is obviously different it plays out differently but it's the same basic type of setup in the same overall mood even if it isn't quite it's not quite as spaced out it doesn't it, in the book the thing that happens there is he slowly realizes that he's this prisoner and because and not only that he's a prisoner, but he is alone in the castle yeah. with Dracula. Like it's because Dracula puts on this big facade that there he has servants and what have you. They're yep. very sparse in the castle. Nope, it's just him, and it's really creepy. Yeah, and and and, and in this one, this, that is much more minimal, and especially with Jonathan Harker already being on a mission to kill Dracula, he kind of knows what's up. So the whole dawning on him of what's going on isn't really a part of the story yeah but that there's but, not enough time in this yeah. runtime to really indulge in that anyway but that aspect is there the whole plot with lucy is there is you know yeah everything surprising for, yeah and they do a good job they make lucy homewood's sister i think and mm. i don't know that kind of works because it brings the characters together in a good way and and i don't know it's just everything in the story feels tight as a result of a lot of these changes it does because, it, it diminishes her her mortal promiscuity because it makes her i mean she's engaged and she's like bedbound during the movie but when yeah. she encounters the count the sexuality is clear and there's a really powerful undertone there yeah. and it makes it seem like a perversion of her character which i think is was the uh, it makes it a little clearer yeah it's a little more clear yeah and so there's that scene they also have the bluefer lady aspect of of lucy's story you know, that's what and, they called her, the blooper lady. I can remember that earlier. And uh, you know, and so it's it's got all these key elements in it, 
they hit all the rights, but they have so many nice little touches. Like the um, like I'll give you an example of one thing I really like is when they discover that the coffin is in the basement. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. And you realize, oh, no, the coffin's in the basement. He's been in the house the whole time. It's this great. That is a creepy moment. I yeah, like that. that. That is a great moment. And then what I like about it is they run down there and you're expecting him to be in the coffin. And no, Dracula's like right behind him and sort of sees Van Helsing going to the coffin and hisses and runs away. And it's just this, I don't know. I, I just, and then he abducts Mina and then they have to chase him. And, and obviously this is much more contained because I, I, I think it, the, the distances might've been more clear in like the, before they edited the movie down, but yeah. it doesn't feel like it's, everything's like just like a day apart really. Do you know what I mean? In the, mm-hmm. in, in the movie. So, so it's not this, you know, in the book and in most movies, it's this vast trip to like, you know, Transylvania from England and back and forth and all that. And this well, one that's is another part, which importantly shows like, cause they go by train and they have like this complex way that they're triangulating the distance and trying yeah. to get ahead of him is he's traveling by ship, which is a more ancient way of doing it. Yeah. And he's like, got his, he's at like mastery of the weather. So his sorcery is propelling him as fast yeah. as ship can go. And they're trying to beat him to the castle. And, yeah. and it's another point where you have modern technology and teamwork versus ancient sorcery and that kind of like solitude that this one powerful being has. Yeah. Good contrast. Yeah. And, and in this one, it's, it's a much more contained geography. I think um, mm. it's not even clear if this one uh, takes place in England, right? Like I, I think it's, I think they're kind of in Europe the whole time it seems, or in mainland Europe the whole time it seems. Unless yeah. I, I don't know if they're on the Island or not. Cause I, cause even their like servant is named Greta, right? Like, yeah. Um, so, so anyways, you know, it's, 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 it's got all these, these wonderful elements. Like we said, it's got the, the sexuality, like the, the way that, why don't we talk about the characters? Like first with Dracula. So Christopher Lee is Dracula. He plays him in this way. That's even now when I watch this movie is very surprising to me because on the one hand, he's so animalistic and, Mm. and this kind of like, you know, like this, this like alluring sexual character but on the other hand he's so down to earth and he doesn't speak in a transylvanian's accent so it kind of it kind of makes him seem like more of a normal person like he's obviously got a little bit of an aristocratic or aristocratic edge but then so does arthur homewood so Mm -hmm. uh so when he introduces himself to von helsing and he has no accent and he's just kind of got a punctual way of speaking maybe just a very sort of right to the point Sort of, you know, there's there's still there's still like a there's a little thing in the way he delivers those lines that does suggest it's a charade of some kind, but it's still very human and believable. Do you know what I mean? And I and I I like the, I just like the way that he characterizes Dracula there. I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on how he depicts him, but a couple because like there's subtlety to his performance. Uh, British acting, of course, is very famous for that kind of like subtlety. But Christopher Lee's life, if you know much about like the background of Christopher Lee, like that guy had a pretty incredible life even before he became a movie star. And there's something about just how still and imposing he is that really it's an incredible presence to watch. Um, It's, it's hard to follow Bela Lugosi. Like, and it's hard to follow the guy that played Count Olaf. Like, whenever you cast Dracula, it's hard. You've got to have a certain kind of, like, on-camera presence. And, man, Lee has it. Count Orlok. You know? Count Orlok. Orlok, that's right. I always get that wrong. Well, you know uh, why? Because that story, that, um, 
there was the was the series of unfortunate events. Don't they have the character Count Orloff in that, or am I mistaken? I don't know. I never saw that. Show. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, That's right. Orloff. You know, yeah, but I actually I prefer movie. the Christopher Lee Dracula to the Bela Lugosi Dracula. Actually, no, I I'm, uh, I think I might too. It's just it's hard to follow that kind of performance because yeah. Lugosi was incredible. Yeah, you know. He's very. I, I noticed the. Oh, go ahead. They go know, ahead. they light his eyes the same way too when they introduce him. So mm-hmm. that's clearly a callback. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I really, I really like his performance as well. And again, I love. I just love like the hissing and the because he speaks at the beginning of the movie, but then after that, he doesn't really talk. There's not. You know, no, there's a lot of sound and fury. Yeah. You know? And you're right about that kind of like bestial presence he has. There, there's something animalistic and monstrous about him well, that, and the contrast. Uh, the contrast is what works. He's he's suave, but then he shifts, and that's what makes it. So, and and also his suaveness is kind of cold, like when he says, mm. "You know, I am Count Dracula, and you're welcome to stay at my cat." You know, it, it almost sounds like almost like a joke because you're expecting him to be more eccentric than that. Do you know what I mean? And he just sort of delivers this very flat. You know, how are you? I'm Dracula, blah, blah, blah. But he's all straight to the point and, like, you know, just wants to get him up to the room yeah, and dude, all that. Yeah, dude, Dracula is all business in this version. Yeah. Like, there's no indulgence. Yeah, it's very kind of like, okay, you're here, good. And But then there's that scene when Jonathan Harker is with the vampire lady and she tries to bite him and Dracula freaks out and he runs in and he grabs her and he hurls her to the ground and he attacks Jonathan Harker. Yeah, like, and it's, he... Ooh, that, and, like... I don't know if that was really good acting or if we actually tossed that girl because like he freaking hurls her and like there's like a really dynamic then there's a lot of power behind his movement there. There's a, there's a lot of physicality in these performances, you know, like even in the yeah, ending scene where Van Helsing leaps off the table and grabs the drape. And obviously I think that's a stunt double probably, but it still is like a very athletic, uh, you know, denouement in the movie where, uh, you know, you know, you have this, 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 this terrific clash between Van Helsing and and Dracula in the end. It really is a good showdown. Like that's, I was like, that's I I believe I could be wrong because I know that the first vampire movie I ever saw was Nosferatu when I was a little little kid. I saw it at a church when I was young. But the first vampire they let you see that in a church of all places. That's that they played inside to play Nosferatu and um I don't know they were playing it in a, in a, on a projector of some kind. They had like a. Like, I don't know. Are you we, sure I, your church wasn't infiltrated by Satanists? No, we, like I, if I was like if I decided to go to the Church of Satan, that would be my first order of business was get into a church and then start playing creepy like Nosferatu. I think, I think they figured the we wanted to. Sh- I, you know what it probably was? I don't remember what time of year it was, but let's assume it was around Halloween. I'll bet what was going on is they wanted to show a horror movie, but they thought it would be safer to show an old silent one. Because it wouldn't run the risk of being too risque or any of these things that a more modern horror movie could Have be. they seen any silent movies? Because, no, that's... Dude... <laughs> no, but, but I mean, think about it. What's, what's more transgressive? Nosferatu or the 1958 Dracula? Do you know what I mean? Which has stronger hints of sex and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Well, and a lot more blood. Like, yeah. they don't... They're not skimpy with the uh, the gore in this movie, which is surprising. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was a '57 movie or a '58 movie. Yeah, 1958, like, which is surprising because yeah, like, it seems very ahead of its yeah, this time. Is, this movie's older than my mom. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah my my, my dad was I think like 12 when this came out. You know. Yeah. So and it's like even today, some of these scenes are pretty startling. Yeah. So, but like that throwing the vampire girl around like that. Uh, 
that hits. <laughs> but that final confrontation is definitely the first vampire slaying I remember because he puts the he makes a cross out of the two candlesticks. And mm. I remember doing that constantly as a kid whenever I was pretending to be a vampire hunter. Right? That, that was how I made my cross. So, um, and, and to me, Peter Cushing is like Van Helsing. That's just, that's the person that I conjure up in I, my imagination. I was um, not prepared for Grand Moff Tarkin to be Van Helsing. Re- um, okay. Because that's where I know him from. I'm a, I'm a Star Wars nerd. But man, he's really good. Um, he's quite the actor. He is. Who would have thunk f- it? Not only is he a phenomenal actor, but when we get to Frankenstein, what you'll see is he can play a wonderful villain, too. In fact, he's very good as a villain. He's very, really, very the, good the as a villain. The guy who played Grand Moff Tarkin could be a good villain. No joke. Well, yeah, but that's a... I guess, I guess it's... Yeah, I guess that's that's not a surprise. But but I, I see that see but that shows my, my, my bias, because I think of Peter Cushing as this avuncular, kindly old man. I don't think of him... I don't think of him as Grand Moff Tarkin. He's, that's not the the... The, the character I go to when I think of him. So so to me, when he plays bad guys, that's sort of more out of type than when he plays the good guys. But you got to understand, I, like, I had an uncle that really loved horror movies and constantly we were watching Universal horror movies and Hammer movies growing up. They were just on the TV all the time. And so, you know, that, you know this, this stuff, you know, I, 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 I adore this stuff. Um, but, but anyways, the you know how did you how did you feel about him as van helsing what what was your reaction to him oh he was fantastic and, and you remember that like i grew up on the the francis ford coppola dracula and i also grew up on bell lugosi and i read dracula and so van helsing for me has always been some kind of like you know like obscure eastern european like pseudo-scientific like church going inquisitor type yeah. like that's for me, that's Van Helsing. And so to have a character that's like this suave, British, almost like almost James Bond-esque kind yeah. of character, it's really a departure. And you know what? I I love it. He's really good. He's got the right presence. He's got the right sense of mystery and seriousness. Um, he's a skilled vampire hunter in a way that makes him seem very heroic. Uh, he's like the, the actor, like I said, is a fantastic, just a fantastic job with the material. And it's he's great. I love him as a lead. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, he carries the movie because he's the he's the protagonist really in this film. Um, Jonathan Harker dies, you know, far too Little early. And... Well, he dies before we even see Cushing. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> he oh, and no, Cushing. He a, he's vampired because because him because the whole thing is Van Helsing and Harker in this are a duo trying to fight Dracula, and Harker goes in first as that part of the mission. And when, when Van Helsing follows up, he discovers that Harker has been bitten and turned into a vampire. And then he brings that news to Arthur Holmwood and Demina Holmwood, and that's you know where where the story sort of takes off. Um, yeah, it, it's re- I, I, I love that scene. By that way, the scene like t- I just want to talk about Arthur Holmwood as well here because number one, they uh, I think the actor's name is Ma- I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Michael Go or Michael Goff. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. No, I'm not. But, I saw that and I was like, I'm going to try that. But one. he played Alfred in the uh, '90s Batman movies. That's that's. Oh, that's probably, where I know him from. Yeah, yeah okay. that's that's why his face probably looks familiar to you. Um, but he was. I thought he was great because Arthur Holmwood is supposed to be this aristocrat, and he really works. Like <laughs> it's obviously a bit much sometimes. Like he really hams it up. You know, he's, there's a lot of, I would say, overacting 
going on with the Arthur Homewood character, but it's fitting overacting. It's 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 a sort of how dare you, sir, type of acting. Do you know what I mean? there, there is a lot of like noble dismissal of uh, that's how we're even introduced to him. Yeah, because Ben Helsing is trying to give the information he can to this grieving family, and like. Arthur's reaction is completely just like, um, we're not having any of this. Thank yeah. you. You may go. Which is sort of a great double. It's sort of like a fake out because at first you think, oh, wow, what a strong character. He's going to really give Van Helsing a run for his money. But what you realize is, no, he's just probably very good at getting his money back when he buys something that doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? But he's not heroic like Van Helsing is. He's actually a very, he's kind of a meek character overall. And that, and I, and so, he just works because he has these characters that are large characteristics that are larger than life. He can do a lot of cool exposition in that voice, but he's not. He he he. You know, he he does. He leaves plenty of room for Van Helsing to be the hero, and for him to kind of be, I don't know, um, more of the assistant character in the story. Do you know what I mean? He's more of a Watson. Well, than, uh... he, he is, and Watson is important in British literature because he's the audience POV, and in a lot yeah. of ways, he's the audience POV in this movie, too, because we don't know how to fight a vampire. We have to have Van Helsing tell us, and um, I like that. I like it a lot uh, because it gives us a, a point where we can kind of latch onto this movie and enjoy it as a horror movie because it's all shocking and surprising to yeah. us, and it, it makes it so that since we're not directly associating ourselves with the more heroic Van Helsing, we get to be scared still. Yeah. And there's plenty to be scared of in this movie. You know, I just even the idea of the way vampires operate is, is horrific. And the idea that you have to basically get like, you know, staked to the heart and then your ashes scattered before your soul can get released from your living death as a vampire is pretty unsettling. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I think, um, you know, but but with uh with that character, I just think Arthur Holmwood is normally my least favorite character in Dracula. Do you know what I mean? He's just he's he's an aristocrat, he which automatically kind of puts me against him, and he's kind of snobby, <laughs> and and you get plenty of that. You get plenty of you know in that how dare you, sir, introduction to Van Helsing. Where he, <laughs> he doesn't say how he doesn't say how dare you, sir, but that's his overall attitude toward Van Helsing in the in that scene, and it and it's it's great. It really works. But, but you know, normally I don't like Arthur Homewood. And in this movie, I'm I'm almost forced to because he's the only character that, aside from Van Helsing, that you're really given to attach yourself to. Again, Mina's there, but she's not particularly active in any way. Yeah, and an unfortunate casualty of this movie is Mina's character because she's really proactive and kicks so much ass in the book. Um, and in this one, she's basically damsel in distress. So it's it's not great. But there had to be a few casualties. Quincy, my favorite character, is, as you said, unfortunately missing, which, of course, they cut out the American, the British jerks. But I, it's an understandable casualty. It's not like it's a central character. He's just fun. No, no. And also, like, he is kind of, he always kind of stands out in the, you know what I mean? Because he's got, he's the American in the room, and he's like a, I, the other characters are even like Dracula is a little bit more believable than Quincy Morris. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes. Yeah. Like, well, remember that, like, he's it's weird for us i think here in the united states to be the ones who are like being kind of like 
almost ethnically fawned over by the predominant yeah. culture. But if you ever go to Europe, I imagine that happens a little bit. Well, it's, you know, you're the exotic foreigner then. The cool thing about Quincy Morris is it, it is always nice to see how does an American look through the eyes of somebody from another country. And in, in this case, you get to see how does an American look in 1890s to somebody in England. I mean, that's kind of a cool... Pretty, apparently and, pretty dashing if a little bit rude. I yeah, lost yeah I'd say dashing a little bit rude. And, and he's just kind of got like... It feels like he's taking from a lot of different places in America mm. to to cobble together Quincy Morris, Morris, which is the interesting thing. Um, yeah, you know. So again, America is a big place, I mean, and it's, but, it's but fundamentally, he's kind of a cowboy, wouldn't you say that? Like yeah, that's fundamentally. I, would say, I think he's actually from Texas in the yeah. books. I I think they keep that pretty well. Okay, but uh, but but I don't know. I feel I feel like he's got a lot a lot of overall American qualities do you know what I mean? um yeah he is the interpretation of an american yeah. by a non-american author and i i find him charming he's my favorite character in the original dracula so um, um so yeah so then i guess that would leave some of the other you know more you know obviously we have you know mina and lucy who again they're they're uh they're there to be victims basically right well, well lucy's there to always, become a lucy vampire so yeah lucy's arc is almost entirely intact mina is yeah. the one that really suffers there yeah um but really, for the most part, the story of Dracula is, is more or less intact in this really compact, really efficient version. Yeah. It's pretty good. And one of the things I like about it is it lingers a little more on the, the final fight with Dracula, which makes it a touch more harrowing. The book is a little bit of a putter out. Yeah. This is pretty intense. I like the final fight a lot. Uh, like when his, his hand gets turned to, or his foot first gets turned to ash in the sunlight. And he's like burning alive yeah. in it. Oh, it reminds intense and, and cool. It's a, it's very similar for people who haven't seen this movie to the, the final scene in Gremlins where Gizmo pulls down the curtain and, and kills Stripe with the sunlight. It's in fact, I mean, that's probably where that scene was inspired Yeah, I imagine from. so. Um, uh, cause it's very, very similar. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great scene and, uh, a great overall movie. I wish we had today. We're actually short on time because there's a lot of other things I wanted to talk about. Um, I hope. Let's see if we can get to this one point at least. How did you feel about the humor in this movie? Because there are two characters that are basically there for humor. There's the the character at the morgue, the mortician, and there's the character at the I think it's a border of some kind. Some kind of there's the that place they have to the, cross. The toll booth guy, yeah, the yeah. toll booth place. But it was I think that's supposed to be a border. Um, what it, those both were used for humor how did you feel about the humor and its use here i mean i like british humor i'm a big monty python fan um and i they were fun and fine it was a touch atonal mm -hmm. uh considering again because we're, we're looking at a very efficient movie and that like you you're in the third act at this point and it's things are like the stakes are really high and things are really dark and frightening. And then Goofball the Mortician shows up, and it yeah. strikes a very dissonant note, in my estimation. You know, you know uh, what my theory on that guy is that, that, that allows me to enjoy him more than if I didn't have this theory? What's is, that? He's a drunk. Oh, he's a drunk. If, he, if you imagine him being drunk in that scene, the scene plays out more believably. Because otherwise, he's just this really wacky guy that's telling this really strange joke about a guy who fell down the stairs and died and is laughing well, about it. Um, it, it 
challenges our expectations of a grim mortician. And I'm, what I'm willing to bet is that they assumed that would be too much of a stereotype. And they're like, let's do something different with it. Make and that's jolly. a noble thought, but unfortunately it carries over poorly to the overall fabric of the movie. And the same thing yeah. with the toll booth scene. That's a straight up slapstick, like Keystone Cops-esque yeah. thing. That felt right out of Mel Brooks. That felt like it was out of Mel Brooks, that scene. It did, but you know what? It might have been a Laurel and Hardy callback because Peter Cushing actually started with Laurel and Hardy. Uh, that was one of his first roles was with them. So it might have been a little nod to that. Okay, I mean, that's possible. And also, like, the earlier Draculas did have some goofy stuff in them. The earlier Frankensteins had goofy things in them a bit. So it's not crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the guy with yeah, the wooden hand not... in um in the Mel Brooks version of Frankenstein <laughs> appears in an earlier version. You know, and it's it's almost... It's not as laughable as Mel Brooks makes it, but it's still... Is, he's still doing, like, the that thing. You know, that motion that... Uh, yeah, you know, which is kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, but, like, making something inadvertently funny versus making it intentionally funny, like, at that point, I feel like you can blame the director for being a little bit sloppy in their execution. I don't think it's a big... Again, it's, everything's so efficient in this movie, everything's so tight, that I don't think that, like, it's enough to make it a major sin. Yeah. I, I wasn't, like, taken out of the movie or anything. Especially with the mortician, I think, mostly he was surprising. And he's in the movie for such a short amount of time that it's not a big deal. When they did another comedy scene, it's the toll booth where I was like, why are they still doing this? Yeah. Like, that's the moment where I feel like they carried the comedy too far. Because okay. why are you breaking the tension of the scene? This is a really intense chase, yeah. you know? And also, some other things about this movie that are notable. Like, the soundtrack, if, if you're familiar with the 92 version of Dracula, that clearly had an influence on how that sounds. Like, the blaring horns, where they're, they're almost taken to the point of parody in the 92 Dracula, but... He, here they're like very iconic and you know they fit and, and all that and uh and also the like a lot of scenes like again the scene where they where they put the cross in front of lucy and she you know she she collapses to the ground that scene is played out in other versions of dracula including the 92 one um you know this is just that this is a film that has big influence uh what again we're getting low on time but what would your last uh thoughts on the film be before we head out uh final verdict uh come for christopher lee as dracula definitely it's a great role stay for peter cushing as van helsing who as you yeah. said carries the movie and is a thoroughly satisfying and enjoyable interpretation of the character uh it's tight efficient very few missteps and well worth it's very like small runtime what is it like 90 minutes yeah it's like an hour uh, an hour uh, 120 minutes 120 minutes yeah, I spent $3 of my, my money and 120 minutes of my time watching this movie. I don't regret either. This was a great bargain in both cases. Yeah, this is a this is a good movie. I actually did rent it, though I have, as you can see, my cousin Sammy had given me this. Uh, I don't know if you can see Ooh, it. I got the, the Hammer collection. I used to have them all on VHS and stuff, but I don't have a VHS player anymore. I, I lost them yeah, so long ago. They were beautiful. I have to say... If, if anybody knows which I had the they used to put the hammer movies in these gorgeous plastic cases and sell them in these great box sets and I had a ton of them and I really wish I, I wish I still had them because just because the cases were so beautiful that they used to package them in um, so if anybody is aware of those are even still around I'd be interested but um but yeah what's your final verdict then my final verdict is this is a, I think this is a wonderful movie. I think that uh, it's a must-see. I think that there are other Hammer movies that I do like better than this, but this would probably be a very good entry point because it's so efficient, it's so well done, it uh, it has so many classic elements, and it's got Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and they both have 
solid roles. We're going to do um, Curse of Frankenstein next, which I'm actually more excited about than this one. But the problem with that one as an entry point is, number one, it was made earlier, and the story is a little bit more... Uh, there's, there's just more elements to that story than this one. This one is just a very efficient story. But number two, Christopher Lee plays the monster, and he doesn't... It's not quite the same dynamic as you get mm-hmm. in... You know, there's something very classic about the Dracula dynamic between Cushing and Lee that I think is makes it a very good entry point for Hammer. It just gives you a sense of what... Because because if you watch Hammer movies, a lot of them are going to star either uh, Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee. Not all of them, but many of them will. And, and some of them, they're both in it. But it, this gives you a, t- a very strong taste of both of them in, in very mm. strong roles. Again, Christopher Lee doesn't say a whole lot throughout the movie, but he doesn't need to, so it's fine. You no, know not I mean? at all. Um, so I think, I think this is a good starting point. But again, Hammer is all over the map. There's all kinds of, like, if we ever get to a movie called The Lost Continent, you'll see just how out, you know, there's, there's movies like that. There's movies like Plague of the Zombies, which had an enormous impact on the zombie genre. That came out in 1966. Um, wow. You know, and another movie that was made, I think back-to-back with Plague of Zombies, was Reptile, which is a really interesting one. Uh, they have very interesting horror movies, Hammer Studios. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I guess we'll head out here, and hopefully we'll be back on with Curse of Frankenstein next. I'd like to see if we can squeeze in some more hammer movies because there's so many that i would really like to talk about but it's you know there's it's a tall order because i know we have to talk about a lot of different kinds of horror movies so you know we'll, we'll see what we can do um but yeah so so why don't we head out and i guess uh, until next time we will talk to you later